on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgiatos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatos. I love our new opening. You may have noticed a slight difference in our opening. We Our show has been picked up on, on Brightian TV, and so we had to make some adjustments and love our new intro very, very much. Um, I want to today in the first five, as I always do, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about today, and then um, I'm going to tell you briefly some things I hope you'll consider doing. Uh, today on the show, we're going to talk about leftism killing America, and uh, not, I mean literally and figuratively, killing America. Uh, Texas Uber conviction is this mob justice. Uh, San Francisco, the Whole Foods and more stores shutting down. And finally, the FBI spying on the Catholics. And I will tell you all about those stories and why they matter to you. But the other point I want to make in today's first five is this. If you enjoy this show and you enjoy learning uh, what I talk about and listening to the show, I want to urge you to consider doing something this week, uh, which is to get on a Zoom call with me Wednesday evening, this coming Wednesday, which is tomorrow, Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m. Central Time. And on the Zoom call, which I will be on along with uh, a team manager on our project and every one of you who signs up, I'm going to be, we're going to be talking to you about a new opportunity, a new venture that I have joined. I am, I am very excited about. It's a new venture that allows Americans who really want to support the American, the country, the free enterprise system, American businesses, American families, American workers. It is a wonderful thing you can join. If you do come onto our call, which I'll tell you in a moment how to get on the call, if you come onto that call and you like this idea, this new venture, which I am already enrolled in and doing, my husband and I are already enrolled in and doing this new venture, um, I hope you'll join us in doing that. But you can work from home to do this. It is 10 hours a week or so working from home. All you have to have is a love of America, a friendly attitude, a gracious way of speaking with people, a phone and a computer. And if you want to do this, you'd be working from home 10 hours or more a week if you want to be. You'll get paid for doing it. And you're really joining a venture that is in the long run going to help the American people, the American families, American businesses, American workers be active in supporting this country and supporting America, which is, as I talk about in the show so often, under attack from so many sources, including leftism in this country. So if you are interested in doing this, please go to joinmyproject.org. Joinmyproject.org. One more time, joinmyproject.org. Sign up, join us in a Zoom call tomorrow night, which is again, Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m. Central Time. And our team manager will be on to explain all what this is all about. I had a friend approach me about this and um, it took me a little while to listen, ask questions. Um, I don't lightly join. I, I don't. I feel as you likely do too. I'm very busy. I care passionately about America. I'm very active in a variety of ways, and I don't want you know more meetings to go to and more that unless they feel like they're impactful, they're helping, they're doing something. You will feel when you finally we get through this call tomorrow night. You know what I'm talking about. You will have that same feeling that you're actually actively involved in helping something good and noble in America. So again, go to joinmyproject.org. 
sign up for our call, which is tomorrow evening, Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m. Central Time. I will see you there. It's a Zoom call. I'll be on the call and we'll hear together what you if all about this project and hopefully you'll sign up. And if you get on the call tomorrow and you decide you don't like it, it's not for you, we can still be best friends. You can still listen to my show. You can still subscribe to my newsletter. You can still do everything you do and not be involved in this project. But I really, really hope you will. And also invite your friends. This is just a great opportunity. I don't know that I can set up a second call like this. I, I'm, I don't think it's, it's um, I don't think it will happen that way. So I urge you to try to get on this call and invite your friends who may be interested also. Love to have all of you just get on board, join my team, and again, go to joinmyproject.org. I'm going to remind you about this several times during the show today because it just really, really, really matters. Okay, so I mentioned the first five, that the first thing I want to talk about today um, has to do with, I called it, the left is killing, leftist, leftism is killing America. And I will tell you that, you know, I used to, it's an amazing thing to think how long I've been doing uh, shows. I used to do a show on um, Salem Radio called Ladies Can We Talk. I wrote my book called Ladies Can We Talk, trying to talk to women in America about voting to preserve America's unique greatness. The book is 10 years old now, but I joined uh, Salem Radio in 2014 and I gave many, many speeches then. And today, getting ready for the show, I was kind of reminded about those speeches because I was doing those um, as we were still in the Obama years, amazingly, um, and and into uh, the beginning of the Trump years and up until now. And I realized what I used to talk about a lot was just leftism itself being antithetical to America. The uh, the concepts, the, the framework of what leftism is is utterly contrary to the idea of America. And so, you know, since that time, we've been talking a lot about the New World Order and the open Marxism that has now just enveloped the American left. But really, that the original thoughts and ideas that were underlying the book that I wrote, which I did talk about socialism and Marxism, but really getting back today to what I was trying to say then, it seemed just extremely timely to point this out. The basic difference, I'm going to go into examples of cities around our country, things happening to our country, but the basic idea is this. The core of leftism, which is the same as the core of socialism, Marxism, communism, the core of leftism is godless. It is the idea there simply is no God, there is no source of life on earth except humanity, except physical life, and therefore there is no necessarily inherent value in individuals. There's no sense of idea of individuals having promise, having ability, having God-given purpose and God-given uh, potential. Is, is centered in the idea of how much government should control everything in the lives of humans on this planet Earth. And this is what communism does. It's what socialism does. It's what Marxism is all about. It's the idea that the government exists to control life because people are pretty much hapless and helpless and aren't really entitled to freedom anyway. They're not entitled to anything unless the government tells them they're entitled to it. That is the core of leftism. Leftism is sold to people as we, the leftists, care about you, so give us all your money, give us all your guns, give us all your rights, don't, don't think you have any rights at all, and we'll take care of you. That, that's the core argument of leftism. You are personally useless, you individual people, you peasants out there, you're just a bunch of peasant masses with no rights and no God-given ability and no purpose, so we're here just to take charge and run your life. On the other side, the core of conservatism, and you know, I, I think the po political parties are almost secondary to this, but the core of the idea of America is that we have, as is recited in the, in the Declaration of Independence, we have a creator, that we're all created equal, that we have simply because we were born inherently inherent in our existence as, on, in life is the idea that we are born with the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And the government's job is to protect you as an individual, allow you to nurture and grow and, and, and grow into your own potential and purpose and bring out your own successes in your life and, and bring forth as much prosperity and opportunity as hard as you're willing to work, as much talent and gifts and bravery and risk-taking that you wish to engage in. 
America was unique from its very founding because it had the idea that the God of the scriptures, the Judeo-Christian scriptures, actually exists and actually gave us life. And the idea that each of us has the right to live in freedom. These are fundamentally opposite ideas. And Reagan used to use the expression, uh, Ronald Reagan used to say, it's not really left versus right or, you know, uh, Democrats or Republicans as much as it is. It's up or down. Is down into the pits of misery of government controlled, all of society, freedom gone, or it's up into the opportunity that is available when we invest in the rights of individuals to live in freedom and to prosper and grow. It's not left or right, it's up or down. Or as my recent thing I wrote in my newsletter, I, I sometimes I'm trying to write the newsletter, I come up with these new things. I was calling it the Sam's versus the Dams, like S-A-M versus D-A-M. Is you're, you're either part of the Save America movement or you're part of the Destroy America mission. The left in this country is all about destroying the idea of America. To be specific about that, I wanna be sure I explain what I, I mean by that. And there's a great piece out, by the way, today uh, by, um, what was his name, Stephen Moore, uh, who's a brilliant guy. Uh, he wrote a piece about the left has killed our great cities. But the point why I went through that in the beginning of this segment is what you think about people what you think about individuals, whether we're all equal in the eyes of God, whether we all have inherent God-given rights, it influences everything you think should happen in terms of policies. So in America, anyone with their eyes open, anyone actually paying attention, you look around at the cities in America, the inner cities in America, and you see that the inner cities are filled with crime, poverty, uh, just, just, you know, life dissolving and decaying. It, inner city America is a complete mess. And Stephen Miller writes about this, about the just mess created in America's once great cities by leftism. And he, you know, he summarizes um, at the end of his thing, he summarizes, well, you know, this is really kind of due to, he says three things, the three poisons of America's leftist cities are high taxes, schools that don't educate, and crime running rampant. Those are all true. You cannot deny that. But a deeper thought about that is that is because leftism inherently has the notion you have no individual value as an individual at all. You have no value, you have no God-given purpose, you have no God-given rights. We tell you everything about your life. So in this article, Steve, uh, Steve Moore just runs through the examples happening in the inner city of America today. And you know, you can, you're obviously familiar with many of them yourselves. Chicago just had an election, which heaven knows whether it was a valid election because we have rampant, systemic, inherent election fraud in this country. But in any case, uh, Chicago appears to have um, voted in a mayor, uh, Brandon Johnson, who's now uh, considered even worse than the previous mayor, who was completely horrible herself. But we have a new mayor. And, and so this new mayor's uh, you know, first initiative, first statements out were that the only reason crime is so bad in Chicago is because businesses don't pay enough in taxes. He actually said that. This is the problem. Businesses don't pay enough in taxes. So, of course, you know, the problem, as every leftist always does, is say, well, let's just raise taxes. That'll solve everything. So Chicago rampant crime claiming, and, and by the way, it's not true in Chicago. Chicago has very, very high tax rates um, and compared with other cities. And, and I mean, it's just it's in, in, absurd. In any case, so you have him saying without in Chicago. And the other thing that this new mayor in Chicago wants to do is he wants to increase the sanctuary city status of Chicago, more illegal aliens, more people with no right to be here. So he wants to raise taxes, be sympathetic, blame criminal conduct on corporations who are the only ones in Chicago providing jobs, providing goods and services for the people of Chicago and of America, they're the enemies of the left because any time a city or a, a, an entity is productive, produces jobs, produces income for people, produces economic stability, the left is reduced in power because they are there promising the people, we're the source of everything. Don't you believe a private company could possibly give you a job and possibly give you a way out of this? So anyway, Stephen Moore's article runs through the mess that is Chicago. Uh, talks about, in, in addition, of course, Seattle, where uh, we're gonna talk about that a little more in the show later. Uh, talks about Portland. I mean, all these once great cities are dissolved into crime and uh, homelessness rampant because you've no belief in the individual my words, not his, no belief in the individual that you can be the part of, you can do something, you can, you can make something for yourself. So 
he, he talked about a business that shut down in Portland recently, a long-term business uh, where they, they put a, a sign up in their door as, they as this Portland business closed. Small businesses and large cannot sustain doing business in our city's current state. We have no protection or recourse against the criminal behavior that goes unpunished. Do not be fooled into thinking that insurance companies cover losses. We have sustained 15 break-ins. We have not received any financial reimbursement since the third break-in. So Portland, Seattle, it goes on and on and on. Um, and I'm getting at the notion, I, you know, the three things that, that Steve Moore listed in his article, I would add a fourth one uh, beside what's causing left, just the decay of inner cities under leftism, is that we play pretend with the ludicrous, ludicrous, the lunacy that uh, is spewing forth our leftist ideology. In particular, as an example, we play along and play pretend with the leftists in this uh, world who are claiming that transgenderism is a real thing and how it ties to crime and the destruction of cities. You know, we had the horrific shooting in the Nashville uh, Christian school recently by a very mentally ill, confused young woman who thought she was a guy and so killed people as a result. I mean, make no sense at all. We just had the Louisville um, uh, bank shooting. It was a Louisville, Kentucky shooting in a bank uh, by a guy who goes to the trouble of putting he, him, or they, him, whatever the heck he put in his uh, social media stuff, we engage in the lunacy of the left and we get more harmed. It hurts the people, even that the left is saying they care about and are trying to help. So Chicago is kind of getting what it voted for. I don't want this to happen in Chicago, but I really do want to have people recognize people get lured into voting for leftism because some leftism somehow promises, don't worry, we'll fix everything. And it's never fixed anything. It makes life works worse for everyone. The rampant crime that's driving businesses out of cities is actually hurting the low-income uh, citizens in those cities, especially low-income citizens who work for a living, who want to live in safety, who want to have stores open in their neighborhoods, indulging in crime, blaming corporations and high taxes for the crime committed in the streets of Chicago or anywhere else, it causes businesses to leave and the poor, actual law-abiding, hard-working, straight-shooter citizens have nowhere to live and nowhere to shop in safety. So I will tell you this, this uh, leftism destroying cities is even happening here in the great state of Texas. Um, I want to turn to my next story, this Texas and the Uber story. Uh, you likely saw this story. Uh, so there was a, um, a shooting um, involved that involved a military guy. Uh, I'll tell you this story very, very quickly. I sh I'm sure most of you have heard of it. But in case you didn't, here in the great state of Texas, uh, we had a Texas soldier, a, a Sergeant Daniel Perry, uh, who was actually stationed, a soldier stationed down there near Austin, and to earn extra money, he was driving an Uber at night. So he's driving an Uber, this is back in 2020, July of 2020, during all of the lawless riots that happened around the country, including in Austin, and his car, as he's driving his Uber, actually being a law-abiding military guy who's trying to earn extra money at night driving an Uber, his car gets surrounded by one of the mobs, the Black Lives Matter or Antifa mobs, you know, surrounding his car, obviously very frightening. And want, someone in the mob had an actual AK-47, had an AK-47, guy's name was Garrett Foster, a BLM activist. And the driver of the Uber says that this guy, Garrett Foster, aimed the AK-47 at him. So he's in a car. He's surrounded, someone aims at him with AK-47, so he, the driver of the Uber, shot, in his version of the story, shot in self-defense. She said, you know, I, I don't have to die on the streets of Austin because this mob is out of control. And again, I'm gonna go back to this whole idea about leftism. Leftists also, forever and a day, agree that you just have to let lawless mobs be lawless mobs. You just have to let them keep riding, keep burning cities, keep destroying things. I mean, you know, they're mad about things, so they're just going to do this. And the entire country has to go, well, I guess they want to do this. So that's what happens. And so they don't control the mob. They don't say, you have the right to freedom of speech and you have the right to freedom assembly, freedom assembly, but you can't do it on the streets of a city. You cannot confront drivers. You can't surround their cars. You can't threaten them. Leftists indulge in and enable and they therefore 
encourage the lawlessness of mobs like this. So long story short, the guy um, shot this uh, this protester who pointed an AK-47 at him. And so the driver, this Sergeant Daniel Perry, Texas soldier, uh, in July of 2020, shot him. He did end up killing him. And by the way, he pulled away as soon as he could and called. He called to report it. He didn't try to get away and hide. He called to report it, say someone aimed an AK-47 at me. I was armed, legally armed, and I used my gun in self-defense. So it goes to trial. And if you're thinking, well, aren't you in Texas? I thought Texas is really, you know, conservative. Understand, Austin is as loopy lunatic as is San Francisco and any other major left-wing city. Austin's no better. Austin just, he doesn't really belong in Texas, but hey, there we are. So you have a Soros-funded prosecutor, a Soros-funded prosecutor, District Attorney Jose Garza, brings charges against him uh, of, of murder in 2021. Jury just came back. And found, and found him guilty. I want to make a couple other comments about leftism and just the, the disrespect for the real notions of law. I'm going to tell you, I don't know this DA, this DA who was funded by George Soros and therefore is sympathetic to the BLM activists who, who just mobbed the cities around the country, burned and destroyed things. He's more sympathetic with them than with the lawful citizens trying to just do a job like drive an Uber. But I want you to picture the jury because the, the, the legal issue in this case comes down to this. Did this guy, Garrett Foster, the protester with AK-47, did he really aim the gun at the driver of this car who was then later convicted at this guy, Sergeant um, Daniel Perry? Because if he didn't aim the gun at him, you know, did, then Daniel Perry uh, has, doesn't have the self-defense argument to justify his shooting. But Daniel Perry's the one sitting in the car and, and, you know, and there were videos of that night. It seems to be some conflict, but he's saying without question, the gun was aimed at me and I, uh, I shot in self-defense. So jury finds him guilty. I'm going to float two other quick thoughts about this. We're about to wrap up in this segment, but um, we have a couple of minutes in this segment. I want you to think about what it's like to be in that jury. You're in loopy left-wing Austin. So you maybe already are loopy left-wing. I don't know. But you're on the jury and you have a left-wing agitated prosecutor who is all on the side of the Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters and everyone knows it. And you're on this jury and you're getting, you're getting the pitch from this uh, prosecutor that this guy committed murder and we cannot let this stand. You've got to convict him. And so... I want you to just picture in the mindset of a juror how brave you'd have to be to find him not guilty in a city known for leftism, in a city where you have a DA, a leftist, you know, determined to be a leftist and push on this kind of case. I'm telling you, there's some psychological pressure on a juror to say, okay, okay, I'll find him guilty. By the way, the shooter, the defendant was white as was the victim. So this wasn't a racial thing. It was just a, a mob attacking a car. So in Texas, of course, uh, at least we're going to see, and now we really are going off to the uh, end of this segment. I'll come back to the story a little bit later. I do want to finish on the story, uh, the story about the uh, Austin shooting um, that I was talking about. Um, and that is just this, uh, two ideas. One is that in Texas, Governor Abbott is... Um, a Republican governor, he has said almost right away when this verdict came in that he was going to seek to pardon this guy. As it turns out, under Texas law, um, he has to first receive a recommendation. Uh, he, uh, Governor Abbott, has to receive a recommendation uh, from the Texas Board of, I think it's Board of Prisons and Paroles, the name of Prison and Parole, I think, Board. Um, yeah, Board of Pardons and Paroles has to tell Governor Abbott that they, they have to suggest a pardon. And then if he does, and, and Governor Abbott has said, if I get that from them, I'll pardon this guy. Also, we had a great, great stepping up by our Texas Attorney General, uh, Ken Paxton, who's just a great guy. But Texas Attorney General Paxton uh, spoke right up and uh, just you know called it what it was. Um, he lashed out at this, lashed out in a bad way. He accurately spoke about this prosecutor um, and, and Ken Paxson's words were, self-defense is a God-given right, not a crime. Unfortunately, the Soros-backed DA in Travis County, where Austin is, cares more about the radical agenda of the dangerous Antifa and Black Lives Matter mobs 
than he does about justice. So great quote, you know, I will tell you in Texas, we have a struggle because big cities, I mean, I, we lived, my husband lived in Dallas until recently. Um, we actually moved out of the city, um, out into the countryside, uh, and we're not in Dallas County anymore, but we were. Um, and you do see crime growing and growing in Dallas County as you do places around the country because the law set, the, the mindset of the district attorneys backed by George Soros is basically, you know, pretty much criminals should be left alone unless they do something really, 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 really bad. Um, and there's a, um, I don't know what to call it, a sympathy, uh, this idea that, you know, society's better served by letting people who are committing petty crimes, small crimes, you know, by not prosecuting them, that somehow they will learn the lesson about not breaking the law if there's no consequence from breaking the law. That's really their argument. But in Dallas County, where we lived, I mean, crime is going up and there's also homelessness going up. Even the whole homeless thing ties back to what I was saying in the earlier part of the show today. The concept of just indulging in homelessness and allowing it to grow and grow and grow, that is a mindset that is saying, you know, these individuals, all these people who are homeless, it's not their fault. It's society's fault. It is somehow the fault of, you know, the free capitalist system or it's the fault of mean corporations. It's somebody else's fault. But all these people who are on the streets and homeless, you know, they are completely innocent and we must indulge them. And so we have in Dallas, we have city council races coming up where this is the issue because the incumbent city council majority more or less just says, you know, the homeless thing, we, we, we really can't do anything about it. You know, we, can tr we can maybe try to help them, but pretty much they don't act on what they say they will do when they run. They run for office saying, we're going to take care of the homeless problem. Occasionally, they'll clear up a small little area and move them somewhere else. Try to, and, and many people who are homeless don't want to live in the shelters. They don't want to live where they're told, uh, where, where they're moved. They want to live wherever they want. And again, it goes back to this, this mindset I was talking about at the beginning of the show. This, you know, leftism versus, uh, and I just see it leftism versus truth. But the leftist idea is just, you know, humanity is a mass of people simply helplessly barely able to function, needing to be fed and clothed and sheltered and, and medicated and utterly cared for like a small baby. This is how leftists see the masses and the, the correct idea, the right idea, the American idea, the patriotic idea is that we see in the individual, each individual, the potential for opportunity for production of good, for, for meaningful participation in our society. But homelessness grows in leftist cities, not because of poverty and not because of the lack of programs and not because of the lack of free handouts, but because of the mindset that has been instilled in many communities in this country, which is, yeah, you really are hopeless. You really have no place to go. You have no opportunity. You have no God-given gifts. You have no God-given opportunity. You're just kind of a mess, and there's nothing in the world that, that can rescue you, except, of course, the government you know, coming in and taking care of everything. That leftist mindset gets instilled. Now, I will say, of course, for the homelessness issue, which I don't want to go off on today, except to say, of course, there are people suffering uh, who are homeless, suffering from addiction to alcohol, addiction to drugs and mental illness. Th those are issues. But even that, do we just write them off and say, well, I guess you're someone who's addicted or you're someone who's got mental illness. So just go ahead and live on the streets. Because what ultimately happens is a large homeless encampment and the aggression of some homeless people against good and law-abiding citizens, it drives people out of our great cities because people don't want to be confronted. They don't want to be hassled. They don't want to be feel that they're being assaulted, even being talked to in an aggressive manner. They want to live in an orderly society, which is a society that will evolve naturally out of honoring the very founding ideas of America. In any case, Dallas has its problems too. Not just, I don't want to pick totally on Austin. All right. Okay. But I do want to go on this show today. You know, we, it's so funny. I bet you in the last two years or more, three years, I don't know how long it's been this show. We've talked, well, since COVID came, we've talked about COVID, 
healthcare freedom, uh, dangers of the vaccines, COVID tyranny. We've talked about the borders unenforced now that the Biden, you know, and Biden Obama administration is really, really is Obama running things, you know, has taken over. So the borders unenforced. We talk about border uh, death and danger and fentanyl from the border and sovereignty. We talk about globalism. We talk about Marxism. We talk about you know, just the evisceration of America's military. Another thing leftists do is they they eviscerate the strength of their military, uh, which that the Obama Biden in spades has done to our military. In any case, but today it's kind of fun to go back to these really kind of bread and butter American issues. Before even the Marxists take over the Democrat Party, we still had a divergence in how uh, the left versus the right viewed problems and tried to solve them. So, turning to San Francisco. So San Francisco, I will tell you that uh, years ago, my husband and I are both lawyers and we used to um, live in San Diego and lawyers have to have continuing legal education and, and every state I think requires them. And so we, we in California became, uh, we call MCLEs, Mandatory Continuing Legal Education, MCLEs. So during practicing law, you had to go, you know, a certain number of uh, hours every year. I used to try to go to San Francisco. We live in San Diego. It was a lovely city, but a lot of those big businesses, big hotels in San Francisco had MCLEs. And so you could fly out for a weekend or for a week, you know, go to a bunch of classes. But the point is I went there because San Francisco was so much fun to visit. It was a cool city, just a lovely city. Now, of course, it is just a crime-ridden city. It is full of uh, feces, uh, needles, drug paraphernalia all over. Crime is rampant. Theft is rampant. And so what's happened um, in, the, um, in, in San Francisco, I want to just uh, briefly uh, mention, um, you may have seen this story, but in San Francisco, um, the new Whole Foods has closed down. Whole Foods, which is a you know, really great chain, if you happen to live near one, they have excellent, excellent uh, an assortment of food, choices of quality of food. It's just a, it's a great store. We uh, have a few around here in North Texas. And so, and people love Whole Foods. And it's a big deal when a Whole Foods opens off in a new community. It's like a grand opening. People show up, oh my gosh, Whole Foods is here, you know, because they have such a wide range of good, you know, fresh produce and meats and just, just everything imaginable. So anyway, there's a Whole Foods in San Francisco. They have a had a flagship store they open there. And of course, you know, if you're still living in San Francisco and you're still trying to function as a law-abiding citizen and you work for a living and you're paid to work and you go to shop for your family to go to get whatever things you want or for yourself, Whole Foods is the coolest dang place to get to go. But in San Francisco, this new flagship store, Whole Foods, closed down in less than a year. It could only stay in business, not even a full year because crime, because shoplifting, because abusive behavior by citizens who come into the Whole Foods, because finding drug paraphernalia and other disgusting things in the Whole Foods restrooms, which are supposed to be for customers, but hey, so Whole Foods gave up less than one year after opening in San Francisco, and they basically said, you know, we can't function like this. We can't function. It's back to the thing I read you that the Portland store was saying when they, Portland, Walmart, no, it was not Walmart, some other store in Portland uh, had closed, but making the same point. You can't function in a business in this city because crime is allowed, because theft is allowed, theft isn't punished. The element, the, the uh, criminal element is increasing because no one is suggesting to them there might be consequences. You know, if you steal things, something might happen. So crime is rampant, theft is rampant. And so this, this uh, store, um, I'll just, I had some statistics about the crime that's growing, but you know, of course the um, San Francisco, um, first of all, the, the newspaper there reported they had previously reduced operating hours last year because of theft. And they had to change his bathrooms after employees found syringes and pipes. So the druggies are using the, the restrooms in the Whole Foods store. So, you know, if you think if you shop there with your children, like you are actually a normal person, you live in San Francisco and you're law-abiding, you decide to go shopping in Whole Foods and people bring the little kids to the grocery store. I mean, we used to, our kids were little, they come with us, you know, and if you had to use the restroom, you'd take your kid in the restroom. Who would do that in Whole Foods in San Francisco? when you're finding needles and you know, syringes and 
pipes. In any case, um, they, you know, property crimes are a disaster. Uh, violent crimes are, have been relatively steady in recent years. Um, I mean, I mean I'm, the, the city of San Francisco has been turned into a pit. And again, this goes back to my opening, the dichotomy between how do you see people, how do you treat people, what do your what is your view about people and of mankind? How does it shape the policies you put in place? San Francisco has been under the control of the leftists. I don't know a thousand years, not really, but I mean obviously decades and decades of leftist idiocy, just leftist lunacy, foolishness uh, has has been you know carried the day in San Francisco. I'm losing this thing. Oh well, you, you've had San Francisco with just this endless um, you know parade of of crime because leftists are in charge and they won't enforce anything and they won't stop crime. They just won't do it. They'll they and and yet they want to entice a tax base. And again, San Francisco goes leftists always go to the solution. Well, I know what we'll raise. We'll raise taxes. That will solve the crime problem. So San Francisco just, just is a mess, um, as are, by the way. Um, they talked about safety of their own employees. They can't keep their own employees safe, let alone whether you can entice customers to come in the store. You can't find people who want to work in that store. So here we have San Francisco, one of the, and I'm telling you, coolest dang cities. It used to be one of the coolest, coolest cities to get to go to. And, um, you know, now it's just a, you know, you wouldn't go there on purpose. You don't go there on vacation. In fact, it was such a cool city. I could tell you a little story about my background and my family. My husband's parents, uh, you know, went to school. They were from California. They grew up in a small town and they used to go up to San Francisco for a weekend. It was just like this, like, like we would think like going to, I don't know, Paris, although Paris isn't so hot anymore either. But I mean, that's what they thought about. And now it's just this. It's just this pit. They had a couple of years ago, San Francisco had uh, Walmart, which is another story. Talk about a store that actually helps people, a store that actually provides for not the wealthy citizens, but the average everyday citizens, average everyday citizens being provided for in a place like Walmart. You can go to Walmart and you can, you know, you can purchase all sorts of just household items from, you know, toothpaste to chicken to clothing to everything you want at Walmart at very reasonable prices. This is where the average family would go shopping. And uh, in San Francisco, they, uh, the, they had 17 Walmarts announce, we can't function here. We can't, we can't function here. And so really when you think about leftism saying they care about the poor, they care about the working poor, the left is forever and a day telling you uh, that they care about this, they don't. They don't, because if they did care, they would begin to enforce the law about small petty crimes. They would begin prosecuting people for small crimes. They would not permit the homeless to be loitering. They'd prosecute drug crimes. Things would change, but they won't do it, which does lead you to the conclusion I get around to. Um, I, I want to get to that conclusion in a minute. One other quick thing. I think this story just came out this morning, but back to just the unlivable nature of these big left-wing run cities. We talked about Portland, talked about San Francisco. Uh, we actually briefly talked this morning, you know, about Louisville, Kentucky. Um, in any case, in Seattle, they just had a big event in Seattle, which was at a Seattle Apple store, you know, Apple products, very, you know, expensive computer related products. At an Apple store, thieves, burrowed in through the wall of the adjoining business. They went into a restroom of an adjoining business, carved out a hole in the wall, went through the hole in the wall, and made an opening into the break room or a storage room in an Apple store and got themselves inside the Apple store without ever breaking the front door and inside the Apple store stole, listen to this amount, half a million dollars worth of Apple products, half a million dollars. And you know, this is a kind of, I don't know if they'll catch these people. I assume some cameras had to be rolling, who knows what they'll do. But you know, this, this whole lawless thing, you can say, well, you know, there's bad people. There's always been bad people. What the heck? But lawlessness tends to, it, it cold, it, it changes everything when a city becomes unsafe, when a community becomes unsafe. 
It drives law-abiding people out. It drives tax-paying people out. It drives people out of the city who otherwise might have been there trying to help the city survive and thrive and and become more um, you know more prosperous to help the city get back on its feet. But if you let government leftists who get votes by promising free things and get votes by telling people the crime you committed isn't your fault, it's somebody else's fault, and it's the rich corporations who cause you to commit that crime, I mean, there, there's never a good outcome when you, you're, um, you approach things the way leftists approach things, which leads me to the point I was saying earlier and I've been talking about so much on this show. You cannot continue to assume that everything happening in America, this destruction of America at the hands of the left, is just unforeseen outcomes of poor policy decisions. That's not what it is. That's not what we're seeing. These are not unforeseen outcomes of poor, poorly thought through policies. What George Soros is doing in putting in place district attorneys around this country who, who do not enforce the law, who therefore encourage lawlessness, who engage in the, the mindset, they, they sow the mindset into the minds of people saying, you know what, we're just, we've got to have the softer on crime, we've got to stop this, you know, picking on people just because they committed a crime. And so you put these soft days in, what ultimately happens is the culture and the fabric of the city and eventually of the state and the country crumble. This is what I'm saying about George Soros. He funds these district attorneys not out of sympathy, but out of his desire to destroy America. That's what George Soros is doing to America with these district attorneys. Okay, so we hit one other um, kind of big topic today. I call the FBI spies on Catholics. And I have to tell you that I, um, <laughs> I think these kind of stories are kind of mind-blowing and kind of, um, you know, uh, you, you shake your head and think that can't really be. But, you know, back to leftism, kind of the dichotomy of whether you are, are, are you on the Save America mission or Save America movement or the Destroy America mission. You're on one or the other. You're on one or the other. And the FBI in the last years, especially since Obama was president and the culture of our entire federal government was shifted to the left, you know, Obama served as president for um, eight years, and he had a long time to weed out law-abiding, law-respecting people out of office in Washington, out of the bureaucracies in Washington, out of the military. Uh, and he had a long time to work at allowing the, the poison, the evil of leftism and socialism slither its way into the American government. He had a long time to do that. And I think even when President Trump came along for the four years, 2016 and 2020, he didn't necessarily know how deeply rotten it was, even though Trump knew to run on, you know, that there is rot in Washington, that there is a deep state, that there's, you know, that there's a serious problem in the functioning of Washington. But this mindset that just invaded Washington and got fed for eight years under Obama and has sat there continuing its conduct really in, in great part took over what used to be the very noble, very noble Department of Justice. And then, as you likely know, there's the Department of Justice and the FBI is a bureau. It is an entity under the uh, Department of Justice. It's a part of the Department of Justice. And that whole DOJ that would have, that spent all the time that it did during the Trump administration investigating what they knew early on was Hillary Clinton campaign concocted utterly false Trump collusion with Russia. That whole story, they knew early on. John Brennan, CIA head at that time, knew early on that it was made up, it was nothing to it, but they spent a mountain of time and, and millions of taxpayer dollars and hundreds of thousands of hours investigating down to the, you know, the everybody they could think of to try to come up with proof of this non-existent collusion and could do nothing. And I'm rambling about the FBI just to say, the FBI in this country was formerly, I mean, maybe it was always a little bit dangerous, I don't know, but in the years as Obama just worked away at destroying the idea of America, the fabric of America, the, the notion of blind justice, the notion of the rule of law and law and order, he worked at destroying that 
within the DOJ and the FBI. So now you get to the place today where Christopher Wray, you know, is still head of the FBI, which I guess, I mean, a lot of reasons, things you could think about that. But in any case, he's still head of the FBI. Um, and uh, he was subpoenaed recently, um, very recently, by the House Judiciary Committee. You know, the House is a tiny majority Republican, so they got lots of great committees going. One, the House Judiciary Committee, they issued a subpoena to F FBI Director Christopher Wray yesterday, Monday. And they want him to come and talk about uh, what they learned in um, because of a document production they were ultimately able to force out of them. Um, and essentially, what this document showed was that the FBI had actually, um, they had, and I'll just read the exact language from a January 23 document, FBI document from the Richmond Field Office. So it's a field office, the FBI, Richmond Field Office. They, they, a document was uncovered um, that essentially showed that the FBI was engaged in a project, engaged in a project to begin having the um, some Catholics, people who attend Catholic Church, who are considered more moderate, they were calling them the mainline Catholic parishes or the Novus Ordo mainline, um, you know, Catholic parishes, to spy on and report on their allegedly radicalized fellow parishioners. So out of this Richmond office, the language was January 23rd, 2023, document generated by Richmond Field Office entitled Interest of Racially or Ethnically Motivated Violent Extremists in Radical Traditionalist Catholic Ideology Almost Certainly Prevents New Mitigation Opportunities. So what Congress is trying to ask Christopher Wray, who I heaven knows if he'll respond to the subpoena or if he'll tell the truth, because he strikes me as a very smug, very partisan, and very very uncommitted to the notion that he's supposed to have to tell the truth. I don't think it really seemed registers to him that he's obligated by that. But in any case, they want him to answer, seriously, you're going to send FBI agents undercover, and maybe they did, they already did, to spy on some members of the Catholic denomination because other members might be radicals. Now, I just want to, I want to ask you a thing for a moment. Do you remember how hysterical, hysterical the left got when after many, many jihadist attacks in America and around the world by people who claim they were acting out of their belief in Islam, they were acting out of their teachings of the Quran and committing violent jihadist murderous attacks, there was some talk about monitoring the mosques in America, monitoring Islamic mosques, you know, because you don't want to wait until there's another, I don't know, Boston Marathon bombing. You don't want to wait until there's another violent attack uh, that, that is committed by someone who says he or she is acting on behalf of the teachings of Islam, which is what all of the attacks that you know about in the world, what they were all about. They were all people who said they were acting on the teachings of Islam. And the left was hysterical about the idea that you would spy on mosques. You can't spy on people based on their religion. But you know what? In, in the leftist lunacy mindset, that was reasonable to say. But now you have Christopher Ray and apparently the FBI thinking, yeah, it's, it's traditional Catholics. They're probably really the problem here. I, I mean, it's so crazy and so absurd. I do hope our um, government decides to really, um, you know, try to figure out what what was going on there and whether or not what they can do about it. But it's just a, uh, uh, you know, it's a signal really of how far gone the FBI is that this would have occurred to them as a really, really great idea. Um, I only have a couple minutes left before I go to my happy um, close of the, um, actually I have a little bit more time. I want to tell you about two other stories I didn't mention when I was running through my show topics, but I want to just mention something and I'm going to tease it today and talk more about it tomorrow. Uh, so what has come to light out of the out of a variety of ways um, is that you know when the uh, FBI speaking of the FBI uh, raided Mar-a-Lago and right away questions were asked uh, both of the White House spokesperson and of Biden himself you know did the um, did the White House okay this FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago did you okay it did you know about it and the White House spokesperson said you know 
Uh, I mean, I don't know these exact words, but the gist was, oh, I heard about it in the news. We didn't, who knew? We didn't know. And Biden had the same reaction. You know, I didn't know a thing about it. Well, what's come to light, of course, is that the Biden White House actually did know prior to the Mar-a-Lago raid, unjustified raid on documents the president had the right to have possession of while in Washington and, and you know, he says had had either authorized or in some way had authorized his removal of them because he was the number one authorizer. What's, what is, you know, privileged, what's confidential, what's not. And, and, you know, when he was president, had there was no higher individual in the country with more power and right to designate what are confidential, what's top secret, and to authorize its release anywhere to anyone. So in any case, it turns out they did know they did know, um, and uh, we'll explore that more tomorrow. I don't want, I don't want to get into too much depth on today, except to say it really matters to understand they did know. They knew when they, the White House knew when the raid happened. And, you know, it's a kind of, I mean, at the at, at very uh, least, it certainly buttresses a concern many, many conservatives are raising, which is we look like a banana republic. We used to be the leader of the world. We used to be revered and respected by the world. We look like a you know tin pot dictator, third world banana republic, where we have a guy come to power and he's using the power of the, his new power, Biden or it's really Obama, but okay, Biden's power to sick federal agencies on the former administration, especially when the former administration, of course, is you know a contender is going to be running again for president. So you have the Biden administration knew all along, so we look even more so like a banana republic. But then secondly, this is being authorized and okayed at a time when Biden, to the extent he knows anything, knows that he has taken documents from when he was vice president, vice president with no authority under law to designate documents classified top secret or to waive those classifications, no right at all as vice president, and he had removed those documents. Uh, some were at his uh, his pen center. Uh, some were at um, his private home and his garage. I mean, all over the place. Biden documents, beach house. Yeah, sure. Those were there. But at the same time, he's authorizing this. And people are saying, well, maybe he did it to kind of, he, Biden, okayed the Mar-a-Lago raid to deflect from, you know, with the attention he knew he'd received about the documents when they were discovered in his, you know, his place of uh where he lived or his office. But, you know, Biden, again, to the just extreme detriment and, and shame and, and outrage, Biden had documents at a time and in places where he was himself or he, Biden, since, you know, since Hunter Biden was launching off on all of his efforts in um, Ukraine and all over the world and, and taking money for the big guy uh, from various places, so those documents were unsecured in a time when Biden's, you know, very unclear whether he's got some, you know, obligation to the CCP or others in the world who, from whom he's uh, taken so many millions. Uh, there are people who consider him to be a controlled asset of CCP at this point. So those documents sitting where anyone could have access, you know, anyone he was friendly to could have access. And so maybe Biden, okay, this Mar-a-Lago raid to kind of cover for himself. We won't know that. I want to mention one other thing. I have just like a couple of minutes to, to talk about this story, and then we're just going to have to um, come back to it um, probably tomorrow. But I want to just touch on what's happening to people who speak up and stand up. We have on this show on Thursday this week, we have two people, two Texans, who are going to join me on the Thursday show who were in Washington January 6, 2021. They're headed for trial in Texas. They're headed for trial, um, excuse me, they live in Texas. They're headed for trial in Washington. And they literally never entered the restricted area of the grounds, never went into the Capitol. This is a very, just, just a simple, a lovely couple, a devout couple, a, a farming couple who went to Washington on January 6th because they were very concerned about what appeared to have been a stolen election, uh, which as you know, which many, many, many people think is true. Um, and they did nothing of a violent nature except after they were attacked, 
as they will tell you on Thursday, by the Capitol Police and, and you know, push back, try to get away from them. That's the, what they're being charged with. So well, those people are on the show Thursday. I can't urge you strongly enough to tune in Thursday. Um, also want to urge you, uh, also want to call to your attention um, that there is a, a, a sentencing of Tina Peters, another person who is putting her head above the crowd, speaking up. She is a, uh, she's been on the show numerous times. She spoke at my Senate. She's a... Um, a Colorado woman who was the county clerk of Mesa County, Colorado, she uh, gained access to and proof of Dominion machines and how they are not only vulnerable to hacking and vote flipping, but that they, she produced evidence that's exactly what occurred in the 2021 elections um, and 2020 elections. She now got, she's, she has three trials that she's, she's charged with things. It's, it's absurd beyond belief. Did get... Um, found guilty in this first charge in Colorado. She only got four months of home detention. This is for doing pretty much nothing. I, I can't tell you, I'll talk about it more tomorrow, pretty much nothing. And she got in this charge, she got uh, four months of home detention. I talked to her last night. Um, you know, she's the most upbeat, cheerful, confident, no, she didn't do anything wrong, still standing strong for America. You gotta love these people. Um, she'll come on the show as soon as she can. I'm gonna take this last minute to urge you again before we get to why it matters to you. I want to urge you again, if you like this show, if you enjoy this show, beside going to our website, which you can always do, go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, and sign up for our newsletter, donate to the show, help me keep this show on the air, be a supporter, become a member for $50 a year. But also, if you have 10 hours a week and a love of America and a love of freedom, and you want to help this country, please join my call tomorrow night, Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m. Go to joinmyproject.org, joinmyproject.org. Sign up for the call tomorrow night, Wednesday, April 12th at 7 p.m. This is a great way you can support American businesses, American families, American jobs, the American economy, help free us from our very, our lethal dependency on China and China-made products. Help us become a strong, robust American economy again. I urge you to go to joinmyproject.org. Sign up for me. Sign up to join this call tomorrow night, Wednesday, April 12th at joinmyproject.org. Okay then, as I do at the close of every single show, I turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show today. We talked about leftism killing America. America's blue cities are the cesspool outcome of leftist ideology. Defund the police. Crime rates soar. No hope for redemption and reformation in a godless leftist society. Homelessness and mental illness increase exponentially. Legal drugs, legalized drugs, legitimize addiction, needles and feces on the streets. Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, all former alabaster cities gleaming. Now violent, unlivable wastelands with Democrat leaders in utter denial of what's happening or complicit and no solutions except throw more money and social workers at the problems. These declines are not inevitable nor inexplicable. Replace God-inspired law and order and morality with Marxism, and this is what will happen every time. And on Texas, Texas uber conviction and mob justice, America's foundation of free speech and the right to protest is healthy and moral. Leftists destroyed the foundation of the 2020 George Floyd riots. Leftists assert property destruction and violence are okay and exempt from law enforcement, increasing chaos and anarchy around every leftist protest everywhere. Austin, Texas Uber driver surrounded by BLM mob with AR-15 pointed at him. It was an AK-47 actually pointed at him and he fired back in self-defense. Austin-based Soros DA takes the side of mob justice, secured murder conviction in case of obvious self-defense. Mob justice intimidates and perverts the entire judicial system. Judges, prosecutors, juries, defendants, all are afraid of the violent mob. An outrageous injustice is the inevitable result. And in San Francisco, Whole Foods and more shutting down. Whole Foods announced closure of the flag of its flagship San Francisco store less than a year after opening. You cannot operate in an atmosphere of lawlessness. Neither employees nor customers feel safe.
Walmart closed 21 stores in California in 2021 for the same reasons. Insurance for shoplifting losses are no longer available. How can any thinking person in America not be red-pilled? Godless, lawless society loses the thin veneer of civilization. Leftist ideology must be recognized as catastrophic for everyone and rejected, denounced. Reagan was clear in his time for choosing. It's up or down time. MAGA is up. Leftism is down. Choose to make America great again. And FBI spies on Catholics. Christopher Ray's FBI, another day, another lie. Ray testified to Congress that the FBI was not spying Catholic churches. Documents and whistleblowers now prove it was spying on Catholic churches. Ray will be subpoenaed to testify to Congress again. More wordsmithing to make lies seem like partial truths, harmless mistakes. Thuggery and intimidation tactics continue with the FBI treatment of J6 protesters. Unclear if Ray believes he's honest or believes leftist, leftism justifies, you know, the ends justify any means. Either way, there's no way to reform the FBI from within. The FBI must be terminated. The entire justice system radically reformed. And again, my very fine friends, I want to urge you to tune in Thursday to this show for a very special guest. Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, a very special guest, J6 Prisoners, and every single day, tune into America Can We Talk at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show, America Can We Talk, to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can